The coronavirus pandemic has given authoritarians the license to steadily erode our freedoms. And if we stop fighting for them, we may lose them forever. This is Rob Smith is Problematic. So I want to think back uh, to a time before the pandemic started, before people even knew what coronavirus was. We lived in this wonderful world that, that we take very much for granted right now. We smiled at each other on the streets. We didn't wear a mask when we were walking down the streets. We didn't wear a mask when we were going into a grocery store. We were arguing about quaint things like Donald Trump's tweets or arguments that he would get in with with journalists. The economy was amazing. Everybody, even the people that were pretending that they weren't happy that Trump was president, they were still happy because everybody was making money. We were just living life. And then this coronavirus pandemic hit. And what I want to talk about today is how much this has really upended our society, how much this has really upended everything that we know about basically what it is to be human in this world and how there are some people that are in charge right now that have a large amount of power that want to do nothing more than to keep everything the way it is right now as we are living in the pandemic with these freedoms being eroded, with with our rights and everything being stripped. I used to live in New York City. Thank God right now I live in the free state of Florida. I am very, very happy here. But I lived in New York City during the early days of the pandemic, and it was like living in a zombie movie. This is what a lot of people don't realize about what it was really like in New York City during the early days of the pandemic. It was like living in a third world country. There were lines around the block for grocery stores. It, I just remember it being cold. I remember nobody trusted each other. I was living in a studio apartment in Brooklyn at the time. So I just didn't have any space. Everybody was going completely crazy. And the thing about it is that we are about a year into this at this point right now. And now there are a lot of people who are not going crazy anymore. And the vast majority of people who are not living in this insanity have followed the science, have known that coronavirus is a virus with a 99.9% recovery rate for people under 70. Um, They know that it's less likely to be spread around during warmer weather. These are just facts. But these facts have been obfuscated by people who want to use this pandemic to control pretty much every aspect of your life. Now, really think about this. Think about the fact that this pandemic has been used to exert an amount of control and authoritarianism over the American people that I have certainly not experienced in my lifetime. I've been on this earth for 30 plus years. I've never seen anything like this. Uh, in fact, the entire planet, the, the world has never seen anything like this. Even in the days of, of the early days of HIV and, and the Spanish flu and, and all of that stuff, we have never seen anything like this. 
The pandemic is being used to control you in pretty much every aspect of your life. There are cities that have curfews now. I just got back from one of them. I love the state of Florida, but Miami has gone COVID crazy. I was in Miami and there is a midnight curfew in Miami because, you know, coronavirus can get you after midnight. It can't. Apparently, it can't get you between midnight and 6 a.m. in the structures and bars or restaurants, whatever. But God knows it can get you after midnight. So you have a city that is imposing a curfew on grown adult men and women. It was it's completely insane because where I'm at in the Tampa Bay area, I don't believe that we have ever had a curfew. I know that there there was a lockdown here, like there was lockdowns everywhere else. I believe it was about four to six weeks here. And then they were done. They were done with all of this stuff. So Miami is still existing under a curfew, okay, for grown adult men and women. It is completely insane. And it is something that would probably not even have been thinkable even a year ago. We have these mask mandates. So now these mask mandates, and of course, I will concede the point to the left that masks do slow the spread of coronavirus, right? And with these mask mandates, it's everything is so arbitrary. You have to have your mask on while you're walking to your table in the restaurant. But when you sit down, you can take the mask off because apparently coronavirus can't get you once you sit down at your your dinner table, right? Or if you're at a coffee shop, when I was in Miami, there was a Joe and the Juice right on the ground floor of my hotel. So I developed this like four-day addiction to, to smoothies from Joe and the Juice because it's very good. So I go down here and I get these smoothies And these people, I'm literally, I get the smoothie, I'm putting my straw in to take a sip, and somebody starts yelling at me to put the mask on. What is happening here with this pandemic being used to control you and all of this stuff? And the authoritarianism, the stuff starts at the top, but it trickles down to people who either they're just following rules or, or they don't have any agency or they like feeling in control of other people. And this is what was going on with the guys at Joe and the Juice. This is what, what was going on. I was at a, um, a, a gay bar called Twist in Miami Beach, and, and you've got people shouting at you, put your mask on as you're walking through. It, it's completely ridiculous. These people like to control you. Look at the lockdowns and look at the shutdowns that have been completely arbitrary. In every statistical model, and I talk a lot about DeSantis because I live in Florida. And the, the dichotomy between Ron DeSantis and Governor Cuomo of New York is so strong because you see two different versions of two different ways to deal with this. Obviously, DeSantis was right and Cuomo was wrong. But the difference between the two of them is that Cuomo is in, this is an authoritarian state that he's running. This is a shutdown state. This is somebody that got granted emergency powers over and over and over again because of COVID. And he is not willing and certainly not eager to let these emergency powers go. And the point that I'm trying to make here is that they know at this point how to take your freedoms away from you. Now it is under the guise of a global health pandemic. And when we talk about these lockdowns and when we talk about the the shutdowns and all of that stuff, who did the idea for lockdowns come from? Well, 
they came from the same place that coronavirus came from, which is China, right? And the curious thing to me when we talk about um, mainstream media, I talk about mainstream media a lot, I talk about these politicians a lot, I talk about all of this stuff. And now our media is being used to spread this kind of propaganda about the lockdowns. I want you to listen to this. This is coming from Bloomberg News, of all people, right? Bloomberg, Michael Bloomberg. This is how this propaganda is being spread. When the first large-scale lockdown in modern times was implemented in China on January 23rd, at the start of the COVID-19 pandemic, it was then deemed unproven and unthinkable, particularly by democratic governments who balked at the implications for human rights violations of limiting citizens' freedom of movement on such a huge scale. Prior to COVID-19, there was a strong global health discourse that argued against lockdowns and similar mass quarantines, said Nicholas Thomas, an associate professor in health security at the City University of Hong Kong. This is but one area of thinking that the current pandemic has overturned as far as is possible. And this is the important part. Lockdowns are going to become part of the essential toolkit for governments to use in addressing the ongoing as well as future outbreaks. So this is what they're trying to get used to. They are trying to get you and I and the rest of America used to the idea that Even once the coronavirus pandemic is quote unquote over, once this has become um, a disease that we can manage via vaccines and mitigation effects and all of that other stuff, that this could possibly still happen at some point in the future. And mind you, we have destroyed the greatest economy the world has ever seen. And we have destroyed um, countless lives of, of children, by the way, school-aged children who have not been in school during this entire time that are, being de- that are getting depressed and, and, and committing suicide. And we have done all of this stuff for a virus that has a 99.9% recovery rate among most people. It's really shocking when you think about it. And the scariest part of this is that This is becoming a left or right issue when it should not be. This should be a freedom versus tyranny issue. There should still be liberals and people on the left in this country that realize that this is about freedom versus tyranny and all Americans, left, right, or independent, should value their freedom. Above all else, and the craziest thing and the most scary thing about this is that so many people have been so willing to give up their freedoms and not only their their physical freedoms, not only the freedoms to run their businesses, but the freedom to actually engage in critical thinking about these things because of this pandemic and because this has been coded as a left-right issue. Coronavirus has become a political issue. This has become a political football. This has become a left-right issue because the left is manipulating liberals' desire to quote-unquote be good, right? Liberals love to, they love to, to feel moral. They love to feel like they're being good, Oh, they don't want to be like those bad conservatives and those bad Republicans. Oh, they don't want to be like them. No, no. Those those free thinking conservatives and Republicans and libertarians, they are troublemakers. And so the left is manipulating their desire to be good. It is manipulating 
the morality that the left sees themselves as having. You know, the left always makes arguments. It's, it's about morality. Where Well, wearing a mask is about being a more, it's about morality. It's about being a better person than you, scary, evil, conservative, libertarian, Republican. We are better than you. But, and I thank God for this, even some liberals are starting to speak out against this. I will tell you who and exactly what she said after the break. Okay, Problematics, I want you to listen to a woman named Naomi Wolf who has some very interesting things to say about exactly what we're talking about today. Now, this woman is an author and surprise, surprise, she is a diehard liberal. How liberal is she? She worked as an advisor to Bill Clinton. Naomi Wolf did Tucker Carlson's show, and I want you to listen to every word of what this woman has to say about exactly what's going on right now government power, which is really characteristic of Italian fascism in the 20s, um, and they're, they're using that to engage in kind of emergency orders that, that simply strip us of our rights, rights to property, rights to assembly, rights to worship, and all of the rights that our Constitution guarantees. So people are definitely horrified and noticing. I think people are shocked and, um, and, and divided, as I mentioned before. And the other thing that happened is you said this has all been very sudden. Um, and when you look back, you know, March of 2020, a lot of things started to move that kind of locked into place a set of policies that are kind of 360 degree full-on totalitarian policies. So I think a lot of us are kind of in culture shock. Uh, Luckily or unluckily, I've been studying closing democracies for 12 years. So I recognized early on, you know, once, once I realized New York State had emergency powers, I know from history that no one gives up emergency powers willingly. Uh, They always drag it on and drag it on. And so every month I'm getting in my email an announcement that Governor Cuomo is extending emergency measures, extending emergency measures. Uh, only from studying history do I know how predictable it is when you start to have um, elected officials say we are not going to follow the Constitution because it, there's a pandemic. And I just want to say, lastly, and then I promise I'll stop, um, nowhere in the Constitution does it say all this can be suspended if there's a bad disease. We have lived through typhus, cholera, smallpox, HIV, tuberculosis, polio, the Spanish flu. You know, we've lived through an attack on our soil. Never have there been months and months and months of emergency powers when we weren't actually fighting a war. So um, this is completely unprecedented. Lockdowns have never been done before in free societies. And really, we're turning into a version of a a totalitarian state sort of before everyone's eyes. And I, I really hope you know, we wake up quickly because history also shows that it's a a small window in which people can fight back before it's too dangerous to fight back. So think about what she's saying right now and and really think about this woman's words, right? Now, she's going to get a lot of blowback from this because this is a liberal. She's a liberal. She says she's supposed to be, you know, more moral. She's supposed to be good. That means that she's supposed to follow the science, She's supposed to listen to every single thing that Dr. Fauci says, even though he changes his mind every like he flip flops sometimes multiple times a day, it seems like. And think about what she's really saying and think about the fact. Connect all of this that she's saying 
to the fact that to this day, there are still, at this very moment, tens of thousands of National Guard troops in Washington, D.C. doing what I have no idea and neither do they. So think about all of the freedoms that were sacrificed because of this coronavirus pandemic. Think about all of the different ways the left and people that are now in charge are using this coronavirus pandemic to push their agendas. Think about this, you know, multi, what was this, a $1.8 trillion coronavirus relief bill that provides very little relief to actual American citizens and provides over, I think, $1 trillion in pork for, I think, a $15 minimum wage and direct aid to uh, Democrats-run states that were in debt even before the coronavirus pandemic. And think about how much these people are enjoying the amount of control and power that they have over Americans and over American society today. Think about the things that you use in your day-to-day life. I think about the fact that I fly a lot. I travel a lot. Either I'm traveling for work or I'm traveling for fun. Traveling is something that I love to do, and it is not something that I stopped during this pandemic. And God knows the airlines, even though they'll be cruising for a bailout, they haven't stopped running you know, airlines either, right? They haven't stopped doing flights. But for some magical reason... When you're on the flight now, you cannot have any sort of drink service. And this is even this is even non-alcoholic drinks. You can only get treated like a human being on airlines if you're in first class. And that is the facts. I go in first class. I can get non-alcoholic or alcoholic drinks. I can sit and, you know, have my mask kind of hanging out and nobody's going to bother me. But the second that I'm not in first class, I can't get anything to drink. I'm being hassled to put the stupid mask on and my flight tickets are still the same price. So it is in all of these small different ways that this pandemic has completely upended everything in our lives. And the people that are benefiting from this and the people that are profiting from this think Jeff Bezos, think Amazon. They have no vested interest in going back to life the way it was before. Not Amazon, not these airlines and certainly not politicians that have had more power than they ever have before. Do you think that they are just willing to give that up? Do you think that they cannot wait for things to go back to normal? They do not want things to go back to normal. They want this to be the new normal because we are now being told that we may not even return back to normal, even with the vaccine that they are pushing for everybody to take. Now they don't even know, quote unquote, if it's going to be safe for people to return back to normal with this. Why is this happening? Because it's purely political and purely totalitarian. This is about the left and Democrats becoming the party of lockdowns and now becoming the party of the police state. Why is this all happening? Why is Dr. Fauci treated like a god? Why are those who have drunk this COVID Kool-Aid over the past year, still, still to this day, acting like they're too afraid to go do anything. It's shocking. It is absurd to me that people have lost an entire year of their lives to this. This is happening because the elites and the people in charge right now have power. And by God, they are not giving it up because they love telling you what to do. They love telling you to put your mask on. Double mask, triple mask. 
Flight attendants on the airlines love telling people to put their mask up. People in restaurants love being rude to you, even ruder than they were before, and telling you to put your mask on. They love yelling at you to put your mask on in the coffee shop. They love this. The elites get to hold on to more power than they've ever had before. And on the lower levels, these small petty totalitarians who have no agency in their own lives feel empowered by this, empowered by telling another adult what to do. These people will not stop unless we stop them. How do we stop them? We stop them by not voting for these people. Stop allowing your cities and states to be taken over by these people because if you are a conservative or Republican, or Libertarian, whatever, you're too afraid to use your voice to stand up against this. You're too afraid to be out and open as a Republican, or as a conservative, or even if not either of those things, as somebody who is at least a critical thinker, as somebody who at least engages in free thinking, stop being afraid to do that. Stop being too afraid to rock the boat, or to stand up for your political beliefs. To stand up for what you really believe, because that fear, the fear that people have of standing up, the fear that people have of rocking the boat, the fear that people have of being out and open and honest with their politics or what their beliefs are, that fear is what these petty tyrants feed on. That is how these people are allowed to remain in power. The fear that holds you back from speaking up, standing up, speaking your truth, and being open and proud about how you feel about this situation is what gives them power. So stop giving it to them and start standing up and using your voice because let me tell you something. The more of your freedoms that you give up, the harder it becomes to get them back. So the time to start fighting against this is right now. Next up, on a bit of a lighter note, because I know it's been a little bit heavy today, I'm going to talk with a young woman named Isabel Brown who has a new book out with some really surprising and actually quite shocking insights about just how far leftism has gone in today's college campuses. And we'll have that for you right after the break. All right, now I'm going to talk to somebody who is a friend of mine, somebody who I work with at Turning Point USA. This is a very, very, very impressive young lady who has a new book out. Um, Her name is Isabel Brown. Her book is called Frontlines, Finding My Voice on an American College Campus. Hello, Isabel. How are you? Hey, Rob. I'm so excited to be on your podcast and to be talking with you today. Thanks for having me. No, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, What I love about you is that, you know, I'm I'm an elder millennial, you know, so I'm a millennial. You know, I'm I'm not new school anymore. I'm old school. But you are very fresh, very Gen Z. And I I really like to kind of keep, 
I, I like to know what the kids are talking about nowadays. <laughs> but um, I, I do want to ask you. So before we get into the book, and we'll definitely get into, into that, I want you to kind of um, tell me a little bit about your background, who you are for, for people who may not be so familiar with you. Absolutely. So as you mentioned before, I work with Rob at Turning Point USA as a contributor, which essentially means a spokesperson for our organization. But had you asked me a few years ago if I ever would have had a job like this, I probably would have thought you were crazy and going senile. I started college with the intention of going to medical school and my dream was to be a trauma surgeon. So I picked Colorado State University, where my home state of Colorado is located, to study biomedical sciences and was filled in a world of anatomy and physiology and organic chemistry but all of a sudden found myself completely immersed in leftist indoctrination, even in those classes that are supposed to be black and white and truth or false. Uh, And all of a sudden I really realized just how bad the political scene on college campuses was and decided to do something about it when I didn't see anyone else in my community speaking up for conservative values. I did that through starting a Turning Point USA chapter when I was a student at Colorado State and received astronomical levels of backlash that I never could have anticipated that you can read a bit more about in my book, but lost many, many friendships, relationships with professors and mentors and even some family members along the way. But even in the midst of such insanity, found this calling to continue inspiring other people to stand up for the things that they believe in and to speak up for objective truth. Because honestly, the biggest lesson that I've learned in the last few years has been that the left isn't just attacking people who politically disagree with them. They're completely rewriting what objective truth looks like. So I started doing that as a student and then decided against medical school, although I'll forever love science and will love being a lifelong learner of the things that I went to school for and moved more into the social media and traditional media space in conservative politics after graduation. So today, I'm obviously an author as of today, which is very exciting. And I host a daily show with Turning Point USA as well. So I have a question about because I want to go back to, to your medical background, because it's very interesting because the left is, is, is always, you know, they're the party of science and we follow the science and all that. But you're saying that you found leftist indoctrination even in medical science-based classes um, it, it, since you were um, since you were pre-med. So tell me about like one specific moment where that came into play during a, a science-based class. That is the shocking reality of every field, I think, not just political science and ethnic studies and gender studies, which we kind of expect the indoctrination to be at the forefront of that curriculum today, but even stuff like anatomy and physiology, like I mentioned. I'll give you a few examples, and you can read some more in depth of the unabridged version in my book if you choose to do so, but we would be sitting in physiology class learning about the two sets of chromosomes, only to be told a few minutes later that gender is actually a social concept. So forget everything we said about those two sets of chromosomes. It actually doesn't really matter today. Or we would spend literally months painstakingly learning about every tiny miracle that has to happen for a baby to make it to nine months in the mother's womb, including when they can feel pain, when they have a heartbeat, when their unique fingerprints are formed almost immediately, only to be told that abortion wasn't actually killing a human being. And those are just two examples. But I was shocked even in those classes that many times, more often than not, we would be talking about completely non-scientific conversations as well. Things like free speech or the southern border wall or what President Trump tweeted that morning. So I certainly wasn't getting all of what I was paying tuition for, even in those hard science classes. 
And that's really interesting because I was talking to, um, I, I was at a party the other night. I was talking to somebody. Um, so he has a kid. He has a 12-year-old. And I, this he had to go to the, the kid's school and talk to, this was in a history class. And so the history class became all about Trump's tweets and all of this other stuff and why Republicans are bad and evil. And he had to say, wait a minute, now this is a history class. So this stuff, it, it doesn't really belong there. And he had to really kind of throw his weight around there a little bit. So it's actually very, um, surpri- well, actually not surprising to you or I because we really look at this stuff. But I think the degree to which leftism has, has really, infected learning at all levels is really shocking to a lot of people. So, you know, my my uh, my audience, the problematics, as, as, uh, as we like to call each other, uh, as we like to call ourselves, we know that I took a whole lot of blowback when I came out as conservative and all that stuff. I want to hear about some of the stuff that happened to you on your campus when you started this Turning Point USA chapter. I think it's shocking for people to hear what that initial situation looks like, not just for me or you, but really anybody who comes out as conservative. And I love that analogy of sort of revealing your inner self to the world as we've experienced the last few years, because you hear about all these people who have big followings and they're on national TV, but this sort of backlash is happening to everyone who decides to out themselves as a conservative in their company that they work for, in their family, and especially on their college campus. And that was certainly true for me when I was a college student who didn't have a big social media following, wasn't really interested in working in media or communications. I was just a student studying biomedical sciences, and I decided to start speaking up for conservative values because I knew that there had to be other students out there on my campus of over 30,000 people feeling as isolated and alone as I was and looking for someone to be that first one to raise their hand, to set up a table on campus and pass out socialism sucks buttons and to write about their true feelings and their true values in their papers or on their assignments in class. So I was truly prepared for a little bit of backlash, but shocked at the end of the day, just how extreme the lengths were that the left went to to try to keep me silent and keep me sitting down and not speaking up and not inspiring other people. Instantly, as soon as I started to share my values in student government, especially, I was immediately labeled as a white supremacist, a racist. I'm often called white power Barbie or Nazi Barbie, hence the blonde hair that I have. Nazi Barbie. Okay, I gotta admit, we're a little problematic here, but white power Barbie and Nazi Barbie, that's actually kind of funny. <laughs> it's a little, I laugh. Little I funny. laugh at it. When people read me, they say some things about me and sometimes they're so funny I I have to laugh so you know I know you have to just laugh it off and smile but Isabel like okay just for the record Isabel is not a white supremacist or a Nazi (laughs) apparently we have to clarify these things nowadays so sad that we have to do that but I do think there's this tendency in the conservative movement to say oh those things don't matter they're just labels but when you're a college student all alone and all your friends are starting to hurl those insults at you that hurts really bad and so I want to remind people that backlash exists and it's out there but the only reason it's successful Successful is because it does shut you down and it does keep you quiet. And the only way to beat it is by continuing to get up over and over again and show people who you truly are that you're none of those things. You're not transphobic or Nazi Barbie or a white supremacist. You're just a person who believes in free speech for everyone and everyone's ability to make their decisions for themselves instead of the government. And when we have an opportunity to reframe what that looks like, none of those insults from the left mean anything. So do you think that we're, we're going 
going into this phase, I, I have a, a, a theory that we're going into the phase where I, cancel culture got so big, and I think that there's a backlash against cancel culture to a certain aspect, so I think that we're going out of that phase. Do you ever think that we will get to a point where there will be people that are, even liberals are on the left, that are interested in having these conversations without throwing out these, what I call shutdown slurs? Um, you know, Nazi, white supremacist, homophobe, transphobe, racist, those are shut down terms. Will we get to a place, in your opinion, as, as, as a Zoomer, um, where we can have these conversations without that shutdown language? Honestly, Rob, I think we're already there. And there's an important distinction there that's needing to be made. And that's the difference between liberal and leftist. The left, the far concrete left promoting socialism and throwing all these shutdown slurs at you, they're probably not interested in having a conversation. But the vast majority of people on that side of the aisle are not leftists. They're classical liberals. And today, those ideas are more concretely solidified in the conservative movement, ironically, because the left has left liberals behind. They've moved so far uh, down the opposite end of that spectrum that they no longer represent what true liberalism looks like in America. So I found many situations in my college community, even when the left and the loudest people on that side of the aisle were throwing those labels at me, trying to cancel me, trying to out me as a conservative. So many people quietly approached me and wanted to have those conversations. And we befriended each other and discovered that that we had a lot more in common than we have apart. So the biggest thing that I think is a takeaway from this point is that politics is something we should be talking about. Religion is something we should be talking about. Values are something that we should be talking about. And society is telling us we are never allowed to talk about those things with anyone, even our immediate family and our closest friends. But I have a whole chapter about this in my book, that politics and religion do belong at the dinner table. It's when we start to have those conversations, we realize it's a lot more about the elite and the establishment versus the people than it is about the left versus the right. Yes. And I say that all the time. My problematics know that I'm a conservative, I'm a Republican, all of that stuff. But a lot of the battles that we're fighting right now, it's really uh, the people versus the elites. You know, it's, it's populism uh, versus uh, authoritarianism and the elites. And that's a really hopeful note that I'm going to leave that on right now. We all can have these conversations together. And I think and I think that you agree that is only through more conversation that we're going to bridge some of these divides in America. So before we go, tell the people where they can find you online and where they can find your book. You can find me on social media. That's the easiest place at the Isabel Brown. My last name spelled just like the color, so it's hard to miss me. And you can purchase my first book, Front Lines, on Amazon, Barnes and Noble, and other retailers as well. Fantastic. Well, thank you so much, Isabel, for being a strong Zen Gen Z voice and for stopping by to uh, chat with the problematics. Wait, stay problematic, everybody. And thanks, Rob, for having me. <laughs> All right, Isabel. Take care. Before we go, I want to thank my fellow problematics so much for listening. If you're enjoying the show, please leave us a review and rate us with five stars on Apple Podcasts. You can also find me on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at Rob Smith Online. Special thanks to our producer, John Cassio, researcher Aaron Kliegman, and executive producers Debbie Myers and speaker Newt Gingrich, part of the Gingrich 360 Network. <laughs>